it's easier to steer a moving vehicle. And I think when I kind of stepped out and began to put myself in a place where I was looking for God to use me and make myself vulnerable, I think that's when some of those things began to happen. And for me, I talked about one dramatic moment, but it was in the midst of lots of micro decisions and the light goes on through decisions every day that you make. Try a few things, step out. God is good and God has placed things within us and will give us giftedness that enables us to do things. So I think just the first the first step is to try a few things, I think. Greetings and welcome to this week's Calling a City to Life, a podcast by Queen's Park Baptist Church in Glasgow. Okay. I'm not to say good morning. I'm not to say good morning. I'm not to say good morning. I'm Why don't you talk about together. the weather? Yeah, but that's very Scottish. Good yeah, morning. but the weather's the amazing. Weather, yeah, the weather is amazing. It is really nice outside. Brody's just returned from from Oban. Uh, Brody, I, I can't say say good morning, Brody, because I'm not allowed to. So, hi. Hello, Richard. How are you? <laughs> well done. Well. So easy. <laughs> so easy when you know how and have been kicked under the table several times. <laughs> the beatings will continue until morale is restored. Uh, good stuff. Ian, how are you today? I am really good today, Richard. Thank you so much. And uh, whenever, wherever people are listening, welcome, whether it's morning, noon, night. Uh, it's good to have you with us. I just Excellent. hope the weather's still good when they're listening. Because the weather's yeah, wonderful true. and it just makes everything feel better. <laughs> Jack, how are you today? I'm so happy about the weather, as you can see. <laughs> and don't want to come back to the whole washing thing, but it's great for drying washing. Oh, we're going to come on to washing because there's been comments about duvet covers. <laughs> it, turns, <laughs> it turns out I am not the only one that believes the struggle is real. <laughs> Standing up for masculinity everywhere. <laughs> it turns out I'm also not the only one that races my wife from one end of the duvet cover to the other trying to do the buttons up and fails miserably. So me and Jack, we're forming a union. <laughs> we just need a catchy title, a pun, which I'm sure Jack will supply at some stage. <laughs> but if you would like to join this union, it's going to be a men's group. We're just going to call it Duvet Covers Anonymous or something. I don't know. Men's group for the church then, you know, message the show. You can join in. Ian, Brody, any good duvet cover experiences recently? Totally not. I am very poor at this. My wife is absolutely brilliant. Um, I'm about a one button to six button kind of uh, ratio. Exactly. Um, And uh, she is really super good because she's NHS trained on full day sheets. I'm 30 plus years of marriage and I still don't understand how she does it. So um, she's stuck. She was trying to tell me the other day what I was doing wrong and how I should do it correctly. So, yeah, I don't even know if I qualify for the duvet group. Brody, it's all good teamwork training, isn't oh, it? Oh, here we go. Here we go. Hold on. Let's, here we go. How to, how to work in sync with your wife. Yeah, Brody and Alison have got it sorted. <laughs> I was going to say, Alison is scoring at this point. Yeah. We, we, will, we will get... I, I, I will put stick a recorder under Alison's nose at the weekend and see if she agrees with your analysis, Brody. <laughs> or if she just does it slowly so that you can catch up and meet in the middle. <laughs> no, no, like, it's, it's kind of like, so I'm normally, so I'm the one that goes inside the duvet <laughs> and the duvet cover and, and whatnot and then pull it down. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know what your problem is, Richard. Okay, that's fine, that's fine. We'll, we'll put some instructional videos coming to a YouTube channel near you soon. Anyway, on, on, on the back of the duvet co- controversy, Duvet Gate, as it will now be known, that we also have Corrections Corner. So, Brody, I'm going to correct you in love. The Battle of Milvian Bridge was 3 1 2 and not 3 2 1. 3 2 1 is Ted Rogers and Dusty Bin. Yeah. Uh, 3 1 2 was the Battle of Milvian Bridge. As as you said it last week, I'm like, I'm sure it's 3 1 2. (laughs) So, when I was a QS, I Uh was not allowed to proofread the bills of quantities because. (laughs) I will flip numbers around. Uh, and as right, a QS, okay. that's a really bad thing to do. <laughs> we want one million bricks. No, we yes. only wanted 100,000 bricks. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. I'm happy to be corrected. This week, Ian, you preached from 2 Timothy 1, verses 6 to 12. Before we give you your 60-second intro, you said something about... 10-15 minutes in 
maybe earlier than that, that this was a word brought to a weary leader by Paul. And I'd never really considered that before as a kind of summary of where Timothy was at. Before you give us your summary of what you actually said, can you give us just a summary of where we are in Second Timothy? You know, we've had First Timothy. Where does this book sit in the story of what's going on? Oh, so this is Dangerous Dates Corner. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to take just a punt at this, but I mean, I think we're probably late 60s AD. So we're kind of post the persecution of ne- of Nero uh, towards the Christians, which is the kind of first really dramatic um, attack on, on the church. So the context really, as I'm perceiving it, is something of a community and a leader who are now suffering a, a program of, of persecution that they've not really come across before with really quite violent results. Um, so that's kind of trying to kind of describe here as somebody who has been um, on the front line and who is facing a really strong reaction from, from his culture. So I think that's all I was trying to say. I, I'm sure people will correct me on dates, but um, I, I'm only kind of going into a kind of rough um sort of foray into where that and when that happened. Excellent. Well, give us then your 60 second on what was actually said on Sunday. Oh, uh, that's really tough. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I think something along the lines of, you know, God is at work in our world and his intention is to turn rebels to worshippers. That's a phrase stolen from A.W. Tozer, but God's intention is to take rebels and to turn them into wholehearted worshippers. Um, and so because he is at work, we need not be overwhelmed by threat uh, into a place of nervousness and fear, but trust that what God has done in us, he can fan into flame and what God has done in the world is sufficient to sustain us uh, and maintain us by his, his grace so that we might express his uh, salvation in our words and in our deeds. So something like that. I'm not sure. Do you know? Do you know what? The, one of the interesting things is what you think you said, and what other people <laughs> think they heard. So over to you guys. Well, what I heard was a repetition initially of something you touched on last week, which was about kind of Christian hesitancy in cultural engagement, and you started off this week's sermon talking about safety first and seatbelt culture. This is obviously something that's sitting with you at the moment. Has it developed any further since Sunday? Um, no, I think just, uh, well, I think it probably will in a sense in what we go into the next few weeks, which is actually um, deeper into that season of persecution that the church was facing uh, as we look at the book of Revelation and how God's people responded and what God said and spoke into that situation. So yes, I think I think there is something about how we um differentiate ourselves from a culture of perhaps risk aversion or fear of um of getting things wrong. And I quite I really kinda of like this the image of adventure. Maybe that's because Adventure is a very positive thing in my in my thinking. So I think probably my mentality is maybe moving a little bit into just a place of what does it look like to be adventurous. Mm-hmm. Brody, any thoughts on what you see with the Christians and this uh, sort of seatbelt culture? So I guess it's it's not just culture, is it? Um, of I think that can we we talked a bit about this last week, didn't we? Of you know becoming a guess. Um, overly focused on issues. I guess it's just do we have the confidence and the 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 boldness of you know when somebody says what were you doing on Sunday of saying I was at church and you know what it was really good it was busy um, you know or or just even of I mean it's great when we talk with each other isn't it I I have the joy of kind of like speaking to lots of people in the church and you hear wee testimonies of answers to prayer and what God has done. And I guess my my question is, and are we sharing with that with people who are not Christians? So it's not kind of like, you know, culture wars 2.0. It's just about having that confidence of if Jesus really is 
the centre of our lives, the person who animates our life, gives us reason for living, is the source of our joy and our happiness, then why aren't we talking about it and sharing that? Why don't we want everybody uh, to, uh, to, to to know about that and, and excited to to share that? Um, so I, I think that's that's where I'm at with with that of of a uh, so hesitancy, not so much from kind of like um, a safety culture point of view, but just hesitancy from. I guess it, it's again it's it's that kind of like loss of nerve thing of how will people react to this? And I think the the encouraging thing is is what we hear um, and see both from people that we know and and studies that have been done into this of. People want to hear about Jesus and are interested in hearing about Jesus and about faith and about um, real stuff that's going on in our lives. Um, so we should take confidence from that to when the opportunity presents itself to share about what God's doing in our lives. Yeah. Everybody, when they go into an office or a, wherever your job happens to be or wherever your out-of-church relationships happen to be, you, a fairly standard question is what did you do at the weekend how was your weekend and certainly I found over the years that being brave enough to say to not just speak about what you did on Saturday but also to speak about what you did on Sunday leads to some very interesting conversations and some conversations that just have no fear in them they don't go anywhere but you realise once you've had it it wasn't a problem no one was offended by you saying you were at church at the weekend and you happened to have a good time they're just interested or it's just water cooler chat it goes straight over everybody's heads and it's the equivalent of just saying yeah it was fine is just saying yeah I was at church on Sunday and it was good so yeah a challenge would certainly be anytime that I get asked especially in my work context about what you're up to at the weekend is saying yeah I did this on Saturday and on Sunday I was at church and it was great and all the rest of it and just see what happens so yeah pushing into that is really valuable. Yeah, I, well, firstly, I feel like sometimes just in the introduction, I mean, we have got not very far at all. And already I feel all these rabbit trails that we could be going off on, but I'm going to really behave today and not do that because there's so much content that we need to cover. No more duvet chat. And Richard keeps, you know, shortening, <laughs> you know, how long we're allowed to talk for. So I'm going to keep going. <laughs> uh, Ian, in your introduction, you were saying that God did not give us a spirit of fear. And then you did the brilliant thing of, you know, this sermon is not intended to scare you, which by its very nature makes everyone go, oh, am I about to be scared? <laughs> and and I think it's so interesting because what you were saying on Sunday is so challenging, but it is really easy for us to feel like, oh, this is overwhelming. And what you're saying about our callings and about what God is calling us to can feel vaguely terrifying and beyond what we're able to do. And so my question is, what do we need to learn about who God is in order to hear Sunday's teaching and not be scared? Wow, that's an interesting question. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think for me, a lot of this was coming from a response to what God has already done. So I think if you think even of Timothy, God had already done something. So the the message was not asking him to kind of step up into something that he didn't have the resources for, um, but it was a response to something that already had been deposited. So I think for me, um, I think part of what I was trying to say is that, that God is already at work and already active and, and he's the kind of God of I guess what people might call prevenient grace that there are things that he is actively doing ahead of time um, certainly in my life a lot of what has happened has been unintentional and accidental and responsive to God so I, I think just to trust in some way that God is is and has given us things that when we plug into them, sometimes quite specific things that are unique to us, when we kind of stand on that or plug into it, we will come into a fresh enabling um, of the spirit. So, Brody? So, I mean, this is, this is one of these 
Bible verses that you, you memorize and things like that. But the it's actually stronger, I think, than what we, or certainly what I can like learned of God's not given as a spirit of fear. It's God's not given as a spirit of cowardice. The, the, the Greek word here is literally the word for cowardice. Um, so it's about being brave and about being bold. And certainly that requires us knowing that we're, we're held by God. But we have a role to play in that as brothers and sisters who hold each other as well, who, you know, I've got your back of. For somebody who in their family setting or... Uh, their social group or their their workplace of do you know what it's it's just it takes bravery to kind of like speak of God and and what God is doing for us to be their encourager for us to remind them of who they are in Christ um, so it's not just I think the uh, we are not alone in this of God has given us His Spirit but He has placed us in a body um, and it's how that combines to help us uh, be brave in a culture that can be, uh, or in a society or in a situation that can be a bit scary and it takes takes a bit of courage uh, to speak out. And that might be linked to the, you know, Brenny Brown, is it Brenny Browning? I don't know, I've not never read, I've heard lots of people speak about her of, of kind of like the bravery of being vulnerable. Um, so the courage that we need isn't kind of like, um, just kind of like a, a uh, a bravado, but could also be that vulnerability of, um, you know, sharing with somebody what you've been praying about and how you've been persisting in that or or whatever. So I think this can look like different things, but certainly it's it's us being anchored in who God is and surrounded by a loving community. I think it reminds me of when I was younger and you had the fear that God was going to call you to some part of the world as a missionary that you did not want to go to and you were and, and you just thought if I if I fully surrender my life to God he is certainly going to take me somewhere and make me utterly miserable and I think one of the things I was maybe getting to in my question is that we can end up in a place where we think that God's calling for our life is going to be painful just uncomfortable, not enjoyable. It's going to be everything the opposite of what we would choose for ourselves. And I suppose in in recent years, one of the things that I feel that I have learned is that, yes, your calling may be uncomfortable in some ways, but that God's desire to be for you and to to work with you and to pour blessing into your life even when he takes you into the places of discomfort because oftentimes that's where I have had the most blessing is yes following him somewhere that wasn't necessarily comfortable um, but discovering that he knew me better than I knew myself and so the callings he had on my life were places of joy that I would not have anticipated so I think it's the the understanding that he is so much kinder and more loving than I would assume even although he calls me into places that can be challenging do you see what I mean it's like it's there's a bit of a strange relationship between those things that I think we can skew in an unhealthy way that leads us to a place of hearing your teaching on Sunday and just feeling like no 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 I don't want to listen to what God's calling me to it's just going to be hard and that's just not his heart does that make sense I think as well, there's this thing where there's a real congruence between who God has made us and what God uh, invites us to do. And I think, as you say, sometimes we're just not really aware of what has been deposited within us. Yeah. And so there should be a, a, a real connection between um, what we, how we express things and, and who we are, and a real fulfillment in that. Um, but I think my own journey would just be understanding or initially being blindsided really to what God had put within me. So I would describe, and I think I did try to do that in the sermon, that uh, a lot of where I found myself has been more a release of things that were either limiting or I wasn't really aware of within myself. Um, and so when you get into the thing that God has called you for, there is a real sense of finding 
who you are and, and what you were made for, even if it's hard. And I think sometimes people would say there's a real satisfaction in doing hard things uh, and doing things that, you know, you maybe didn't imagine or couldn't imagine that you would do. So um, I certainly would want to testify to that, that you kind of find something more of who you are as God brings out that treasure that you've been uh, unaware of. I find it quite interesting that, and you guys with your Greek scholarship will be able to unpack this possibly, that in the verse 7, it's not given as my translation, New American Standard, not given as a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. And that the opposite of a spirit of timidity is not a spirit of courage. It's a spirit of power, love and discipline that, you know, Normally, when you would write about a, it's not a this, it's a that, but it's not just this one thing. It's a, it's a suite of things. Is there anything? Is that just the way it's been translated, or is there something we should observe in the breaking down of what the opposite of timidity is in being these three things: power, love, and discipline? I think I never really got into that expression in depth in the sermon, but I was really. Uh, curious about it, Richard. I think particularly that bit about discipline, mm. uh, because one of the things that fear does is it it deregulates us. You know, we we panic, we unravel, and we lose that ability to be still um, and to be consistent within a difficult situation. You know, you find somebody, mm. and there's a, a you know you get into a, a major challenge, and it's the person who as a bit of composure in the situation that then becomes the leader rather than the person who panics. Uh-huh. I, and it's, you know, I just wonder if that's really what is being suggested here, that um, that what God gives us is that uh, ability to, to be still and not to be driven by, by panic uh, and to allow our emotional reactions to be the kind of driver of of the decisions that we make but to be disciplined in that we are regulated by god's word and god's spirit and we're therefore able to transcend something that's that's challenging so i think i i think that word composure is actually a really important word um and i don't know if i'm reading something into the text but that's what it for me that's kind of what discipline was was suggestive of that 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 God intends to give us and to help us to find a place of composure rather than a kind of dysregulation and panic that comes when we are um, stressed and pressurized by by challenges outside of us. Yeah. I think as well of, you know, the, the, the discipline thing is about moderation and self-control. And I think that that linked with the, the power, which is both dynamic as an explosive, but also that dynamis, that kind of like staying in it for the long haul kind of power. Um, and, and love really speaks as coming or reacting to things in the opposite spirit from what the attack that, that Timothy and, and the church there had um, had sustained. So, you know, bottom line, I think part of the, the, the discipline self-control thing was don't react violently, which speaks to what Ian was saying of, you know, the spirit helps regulate our emotional response to this and we have to respond in, in love and not power that can like overwhelms and coerces, but power that shows, do you know what, despite all these bufferings, um, I mean, the thing that kind of like jumped out at me uh, was... Paul saying to Timothy, don't be ashamed of Jesus and don't be ashamed of me who's in prison. Now, that doesn't look like things are going terribly well. You know, normally when we think of giving a testimony, it's, wow, look at these amazing things that have been happening. Um, but here it's, it's don't be ashamed of, of, of Paul who's in prison. And I think, I, I certainly, I don't know how to articulate this particularly well of, but... I think one of the things that the Spirit challenges us to do is to reassess what success looks like or even what blessing looks like of here's, you know, 
evangelism strategy of let's speak about our, our kind of like leader who's in jail. I'm not sure that you know, that's not what we would lead with, is it? Um, and yet that's what Paul says, don't be ashamed because God's working through this. Uh, so I think there's something deeper for us. I don't know what it is for us, for us to press into with that. But to have confidence, I think, to be real with, perhaps it's this, to have confidence to be real with people of, you know, do you know what, I've been praying about this and it's a bit of a struggle and I don't know what God's doing, but I know that he's the answer, so I'm, I'm clinging to him. Like every good preacher, Ian, you had three points on Sunday. <laughs> your first being, call out your calling. And you referenced that for each one of us, we've had moments when God deposited something in our life. You also then shared your own testimony a bit, which was brilliant to hear in that context. And I th think that you did a really good job of talking some about how you have stewarded that moment when God deposited something in your own life. And I was wondering if you had anything to say further about how for each one of us, we you, you were saying we've had these moments, but we often disqualify them or we've had them stolen in some way. There's a song at the moment that I'm loving that has a line, when you make a promise and then I fear that I've misunderstood. So it's that whole common thing that we all experience of we hear God speaking into our life. We have a moment where we feel like he deposits something and within half an hour, we've already decided all the reasons why that's not what happened. How do we go about stewarding these moments well in our own life? What is the key to ending up agreeing with the lie as opposed to the truth? I think there are probably a number of responses. I, I think where something has, has been a, a wound or a restriction, um, you, you move into that space where you were inhibited in the past and you begin to practice the freedom that you have. So you begin to exercise. And then I think, you know, my own experience would be that you then see fruit and fulfillment in that area. So that kind of really um, consolidates what has happened. And I think though the challenge, as you say, is that sometimes these moments are so ephemeral or so weird that you don't know how to translate them. Um, and I think one of the things I wanted to to do, well, I say I wanted to do it, is more really that I saw this in retrospect, is, is to validate in other people some of the strange things that have happened. Uh, one or two people said to me afterwards, you know, something happened to me in whenever. And, and the reality is that for lots of people, they've tucked something away, they've been fearful of actually speaking of it, because it just seemed to be so off the charts. Uh, and I do think, just to even get back to something Brody said earlier on, I think affirming some of these things in one another uh, and acknowledging that God does some things that, you know, really are strange and we maybe can't really completely um, understand what's going on, but that doesn't devalue what has happened and we see the fruit of it. So I think we can validate what's happened um, in one another, even though it may well have been quite strange. Um, and I think we could also just encourage one another to step into it and to, and to act into it. And I think also just to encourage people, you know, you might have a new sense of freedom in a certain area, or you might have a, a confidence that God has said something, but that also has to, to develop and grow. It's not the end of the story. I, I think often these things are like a door that opens and you then have to walk through the door. It's not like having the door opened, everything is wonderful. It's you that need to choose by faith to live in the other side of that, that door. Um, and I think we can encourage one another to do that. I just wonder that if someone has had an interaction, for want of a better word, with God around something like that, and it maybe hasn't been as significant as yours, you know, you were talking about the physical manifestation of that and retching and so on. And if it's been something smaller, our capacity to talk ourselves out of what has actually happened is quite great. Maybe this is just my experience. And I wonder if you ever have questioned what happened in that moment or if it was so significant that you have never doubted what God has done. I mean, I think that moment was so 
um, life-changing in terms of a life direction and I guess was quite kind of validated by other people that I haven't really questioned it but I certainly have other moments when I would think you know well, what really was that all about mm-hmm. and I saw moments in my life you know where I think well, well I, I'm still not sure what God was actually trying to do uh, yep. and maybe I've got a bit of an angle on it but I'm not entirely sure um, what the significance of that was um, but I think it's also important just to to dig into those things and and not despise the small things. I think, yes. to be honest, most of the things that God has done in my life have been mundane and undramatic. And I think most of the changes that have occurred have been slow changes over time um, rather than dramatic moments. So I wouldn't want to exalt the dramatic, but also wouldn't want to eliminate it from from what God does. So I, I do think, and getting back to 2 Timothy, I, I think there are, there are moments, there are words, there are events that God has precipitated in our lives that we need to get back to and mm-hmm. even stand on and, and recognize that it might be very different from somebody else. It might be unique to my own journey and my own personality, but that doesn't um, diminish its value. So I think, yeah, I, I, I think there's the old song, Count Your Blessings. You know, there is a real value in, in getting back to counting what God has done and standing on what God has, has done for us. Jackie, I think as well, there can be that danger that we think it's all about one moment. And if we've missed it, then we've missed what God has for us. And yet we both see in scripture and from our own lives and other people that we know that uh, God's persistent. Um, and uh, very often it's about those moments. Um, there might be one dramatic moment within that as well. So I think as well of if somebody thinks, oh, I've missed my moment with God, to to lift that untruth off or that fear that I've missed, for sure, you know, because we do it as preachers, don't we, of, you know, hey, if God's been speaking to you this morning, then please respond. Don't let that moment go. And that's an encouragement, but the, that's not also saying of, and do you know what, this is your last chance. Um, of We know that God is the, the God of, of multiple chances. And if God is calling you to something, then we'll look for that repeated pattern. Mm-hmm. You know, So you can ask Alison about our kind of like duvet technique, but the thing that Alison will tell you is Brody was a guy that said that he would never be a pastor. Mm. Yeah. You know, but the, there came that moment where kind of like a repeated, for want of a better word, nudge from God of I just couldn't ignore what I kept feeling God. And this is over a couple of years of and eventually ended up having a conversation with, with Ian about this this continual nudge that I kept uh, uh, feeling. So there wasn't that, there wasn't a dramatic moment, but just a continual. So look for repeated patterns yeah. of, of what the Spirit might be saying to you or what other people have been speaking in. Um, uh, and I think as well of Ian's, you know, spot on of, and, and we need that encouragement from each other uh, in, our, in our callings. And sometimes that's easier to do in a church setting, but for the people who are, are called to their workplace, um, and have a calling to to bring God's life and transformation and change. And that might just be to one person in your workplace of, of let's encourage each other there as well and it not just reduce this to a, a Sunday morning. I promise we'll get to point two, but just as a final thing, the verse that was coming to me on Sunday was, I think it's in Ephesians, is it each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And I wonder if you had anything for people who feel that they haven't had the moments, they don't feel that they have had a deposit from God or they have disqualified themselves from feeling like there is a gift or a calling on their life. And obviously we don't believe that to be true, but it can be a genuinely held feeling what's what's the response to that i hope this doesn't sound superficial but my immediate response is it's easier to steer a moving vehicle 
And I think when I kind of stepped out and began to put myself in a place where I was looking for God to use me and make myself vulnerable, I think that's when some of those things began to happen. And I think as Brody, I really would just kind of underline what Brody said. I mean, I think for me, I talked about one dramatic moment, but it was in the midst of lots of micro decisions and the life goes on through decisions every day that you make. But um, I, I think just that, try a few things, step out, and God is good and God has placed things within us and will give us giftedness that enables us to do things. So I think just the, the, first, the first step is to try a few things, I think. We've maybe already sort of dealt with point two that you made on Sunday, but the point two is put your confidence in Christ's work, which I suppose is the solution, if you like, to Jack's question. The ultimate solution is have confidence in the fact that as a wingman, you've got God, for want of a better expression. You know, have confidence in what he's done, have confidence in what you see he is doing and has done in other people. Listen to other people's testimony and go, you know what, that sounds a bit like something that happened to me. And have confidence that you're not by yourself. There's a C.S. Lewis thing about uh, the screw tape letters, you know, about the devil trying to persuade Christian that actually it's just because he had a bit of cheese last night that is why he's thinking you just ate too late and kind of to reject the experience that he's having. So I suppose it's about how do we not reject the experiences that we all have? How What does actually putting confidence in Christ's work mean? Unpack it a bit more, Ian. Yeah, I, I think there is, if you like, a subjective and objective element to that. So the subjective is is my story, um, but the objective is what God has already done. So oh. I, I'm putting my faith in um, in events that are um, are communicated to us through Scripture. I'm putting my uh, faith in the testimony of others. I'm putting my faith in in God's in God's word. So I think we're really talking about the fundamentals of the faith in this instance that that God has acted. God has a particular character which is for us and for our growth and development even in a, a tough world um, and that he has loaded us sufficiently with his His grace that we've been blessed in the heavenly realms with every blessing in Christ Jesus. So there's a lot of God's truth that we we simply need to see simply. It's, it's simple to understand and hard to do, um, but we need to place our, our faith in that. So I think I would just try to say, you know, there's two, two ways we can look at our own story and then we can question our own story very easily, but there's also the objective reality of what God's done for us in Christ. You used one of my favourite phrases because you were talking about appropriating what is God has already done. And is that awareness that we need to have about the amount of resource that is in our bank account that we never he never asks us to do something that he hasn't equipped us to do. And we just so often don't appreciate that. I'd, I'd think of it slightly differently of we get included in what God has done in Jesus. Mm-hmm. So the thing that that Paul is telling Timothy to have confidence in is, do you know what? God raised Jesus from the dead. Um, death and sin have been defeated. The world is being made new and we don't see all the fullness of that yet, but have confidence in the, the, the God in whom you trust is a God who brings life out of death um, and who renews the world. And we get included um, uh, in that. So it's not so much of God has deposited something in my bank account, but God has transferred me into his bank. <laughs> you nice. know, I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm in his throne room. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. Even when I don't feel like it, that's where I, that's where we are. Um, so have have confidence in that. So it's not like going to dad and asking for, you know, can I borrow a tenner from you? Of <laughs> you're in the bank. Yeah. 
that's pretty good. I like that. <laughs> the final point uh, was focused around verse 10 in the chapter and was about the revelation about bringing life and immortality to light through the gospel. So I guess it was about how we turn all of this into something that actually impacts the world, that makes the experiences that we are having visible to others. Do you have any particular, I mean, Ian, you, you related a testimony you had that we've already discussed, but is there anything you've seen in your experience as a pastor that really speaks into that of something very obviously coming to light in a person that just has an impact that rolls on, maybe unexpectedly? Yeah, I think there's lots of of personal illustration of that. I mean, I think there's nothing like a life that's been transformed by Jesus that speaks into the lives of other people. And I think maybe those of us who are a bit longer in the tooth as Christians forget just the impact of uh, of a transformed life um, actually makes. Um, and, you know, and certainly you kind of see that. I mean, we had a story just, I think I told it last week, of one of the guys who got baptized and one of his colleagues was at the baptism and said, you know, I thought, I thought he was a really good guy. And then something just changed. And uh, then I realized he'd become a Christian. And, and when he became a Christian, oh, I realized that was that was so obvious. So I, I think we we forget that people are watching us. Um, and um, we've been in a, a local coffee shop, not the normal one, but um, we've been in a local <laughs> coffee shop and we've discovered that other people from Queen's Park have been going in and the management have, have noticed this. Um, and uh, and realise that it's being used by by Christians during the week, and uh, uh-huh. we've had conversations with the management as a result of it. So I think there's a whole thing. Even when we don't speak, you know, we are being watched, and our lives are being watched. And I think just somehow tying our conduct and behaviour to our words is actually something that's very simple, um, but maybe you could be a little bit more brave in doing that. So I think there's that. I think there's also as a church, you know, we're trying to help people express their faith. And one of the brilliant ways to do that, of course, is be the Alpha Course, um, which combines the sort of lived experience of a Christian community, sitting together over a meal, sharing life, sharing faith, sharing stories, um, with an articulation of the Christian message over time and a, just a, and a belief in prayer and the transforming power of God. So I think if there's anybody listening, you know, and you're kind of thinking, <clears throat> well, is faith for me? What's this all about? Then find an alpha course somewhere. We're running one at the beginning of October. Um, and that's just a brilliant way of, of exploring what uh, Christian faith um, really is all about. Yeah, if you happen to have stumbled across this podcast because it's been recommended you to you by some weirdo algorithm on the internet and you're like, oh, these guys sound like reasonable individuals. Uh, okay, three of them do. I maybe don't. I'm going to have duvets and stuff. But, you know, I want to explore this more than, yeah, email us uh, office at qpbc.org. As Ian says, there's an alpha course starting soon. Just dip in, see what you think, and take it from there. It's just as easy to dip out if you don't like it. Just keep listening to the podcast. Uh, and there'll be plenty of other things. Ian, just before we get Brody's take on this, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about the transforming we are still calling it transforming events. Yeah, yeah. So we we run an we run a number of events really for for uh, folks in the church and friends of the church, particularly for people who really um, don't have uh, any faith that they would uh, want to um, express. Uh, and we're having a a, a gathering a, a night which is about uh, the connection between faith and science. I think a lot of people. Um, have the perception that science has um, is in conflict with faith. That science has overwritten a belief in in faiths mm-hmm. of all kinds. So we have uh, with us uh, Professor David Wilkinson, who's at Durham University. He's an astrophysicist and a communicator, and uh, a really interesting uh, individual, great communicator. So uh, that's on the twenty fourth of October, and we will be putting out some information about how you can uh, come along and be stimulated by that conversation. Cool. Brody, give us your take on 
making the message visible? Yeah, talk about Jesus. Because do you know what? I mean, yeah, the good news is that I'm not inviting people to be like me because, you know, who would want to be like me? I'm inviting people to meet Jesus. Um, So while it's great, um, you know, of, you know, uh, there's that old thing of, you know, you know, remember to tell your face that you've got joy deep inside kind of thing. While there's that encouragement um, to share what God is doing in our lives, ultimately, the person that we're pointing towards is is Jesus. So even if I'm having a bad day, that's okay because I'm pointing towards Jesus. Cool. Well, that brings us to a close. So we'll do our usual roundup. Seeing as Brody, you've just spoken, we'll pass it on to Jack to give us her final thought. Surprise. (laughs) (laughs) My reflection is, am I feeding fear with what I am taking in from the world? Or am I building up my, um, the testimonies that I hear, which are encouraging me to step out and to be bold and to have courage. And I'm thinking particularly of how I love to read books which are full of testimonies of of peoples whose lives have been really transformed. And I'm thinking about, um, it's an old book now, but the Jack Deere book, Surprised by the Voice of God. And the last chapter in that book, highly recommend it. The last chapter in that book has the most compelling testimony about somebody's journey into hearing God's voice and the impact that it then has. I'm not going to ruin it for people. Go and read it. But it's the nature of a story like that which will remind me of how amazing God is and how real his promises are and how powerful he is and how true his voice is. And when I feed myself with things like that, I am far more likely to be somebody that steps into places which are uncomfortable. I'm far more likely to be brave with my faith and sharing it because I'm reminding myself of what the truth is and and how God works and how powerful these things are. And so I suppose I feel challenged to, to not allow the wrong things to feed me. I don't want to feed the fear. I want to, to feed the courage with testimony. Brody, back to you. Have confidence in God's calling and where he's placed you. Um, there's a great danger, isn't there, that when we hear testimonies, that we both simultaneously get encouraged and intimidated at the straight same time and think, oh, I'm not like that, or oh, I have to be like that. And again, the good news is that, you know what, God's given us different gifts. Um, We're not all called to be the same. And even how we are called to use and express those gifts can look different. I love the fact that God is a God of diversity. So don't be jealous. Don't be intimidated. Be encouraged that God is on the move and he's called you to move with him in a way that looks that, that works with, with you. God works with who you are. So be encouraged by that. So be bold and step out in a way that is God-empowered, but you at the same time, if that makes sense. Now, Ian, this was all done as part of the Church's Vision Sunday. So as well as giving your final thoughts, can you articulate how this feeds in to the vision of the Church? All in a short sentence. All in one (laughs) sentence. I'm counting, you're allowed so many letters. It's like a game of countdown. So many letters. That's the numbers round, isn't it? At the top, middle and bottom. First, like just to agree with what Jackie and Brody have said. A couple of things then, firstly, about um, the passage itself. I think it just really struck me that actually we should translate God has not given us a Holy Spirit, which is all fear. Um, some of the translations suggest that it's like a mentality. Um, but the commentators that I read and agreed with said that it was the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is not a spirit that produces fear, but the spirit produces life. And I think if we uh, remember that, sometimes people are frightened of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people are frightened of what God would ask. But, you know, here is scripture saying very clearly um, that the spirit doesn't produce fear, but produces power and discipline and so on. So welcome the spirit as the spirit of life. 
And then I think what we're trying to say is that God is at work in our world. He's calling all nations to praise him. God is turning, uh, as I said, as we began, rebels into worshippers. And so really kind of seeing that that whole uh, narrative um, that even as we reach out, we're not just simply um, you know ticking a box of we've got to do this, but actually we are cooperating with a God who's um, seeking people, who's desiring worshippers, and who's welcoming people and doing the work of transformation in people's hearts. And, and we have the privilege of cooperating with that. So in terms of our vision, um, we're going to have a little bit of a focus on on expressing what our faith looks like as we engage with the world. But that's not just kind of hard-nosed sales pitch. It's actually cooperating with the God who draws us into his life. And uh, I hope that's an encouragement as we proceed into the new year. Cool. And we proceed next week to open up the Book of Revelation. Who has the privilege of starting? Is it you or Brody? It's me. Yeah, it's you. I have the privilege. And I'm trying not to encroach on what Brody is um, speaking about the following week, but um, I'm trying to be disciplined. So where where could we be reading ahead? So just read chapter one. Um, in fact, read the first verse in a few different translations as well. Oh, nice. And then um, get into verses six, six I think 16 onwards um, would be really good. Cool. Excellent. Well, I look forward to hearing that at the weekend. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please do leave us some comments if you're listening on Spotify. We really appreciate them. And obviously, another big shout out to Jack, who's a regular encourager on the show. Go and check out some of the comments that he leaves. And if you want to send something into the show, a testimony, a word, if you just want to send us an encouragement or a question, then email QPBC, no, email office at QPBC.org. Really got to sort out this email address. <laughs> but there we go. Good stuff. Thank you for joining us. Speak to you again soon. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Goodbye.